Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 325 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in Ann Arbor. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, we shared some of our best tips to become a wizard at Microsoft Teams, a very important skill these days. In this episode, we wanted to look into the new universe of something called digital twins and what that might mean for all of us. Tom, what's all on, on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we will indeed be discussing what to expect in this world of digital twins. In our second segment, we will return to the ongoing question of Twitter with the, 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 the specific question being, should we stay or should we go? And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can start using the second that this podcast is over. But first up, we were in the mood to take on a technology development that we haven't seen much about and certainly don't see it talked much about in the legal technology area um, and introduce it to our audience. Um, And that topic is something called digital twins. Dennis, I can't help but notice that lately when we want to cover a seemingly new technology topic, we find that it's been around for, oh, 20 years. Actually, I found that the book that it was first described in goes back to 1991, so even probably sooner, longer than that. I am not embarrassed to admit that I'd never heard of digital twins before. So why the sudden interest? I've actually been seeing quite a bit about this, and it's it's uh, an interesting development that I think illustrates one of these areas, um, and I think this is a really important area for people in the world of legal technology, is, is what I call what's old is new again. So taking some of the ideas that have been around for a long time and seeing how they look now and how they might work now in a world where things are faster, where we have more data, where we have artificial intelligence, where we have more processing power, all those sorts of things. And suddenly they become a lot more interesting and it kind of sneaks up on us. So, yeah, so the notion of digital twins, I, you know, you said 1991, certainly 20 years ago that uh, I think that term started to be coined. Uh, some people push it back to the 1960s in the space program with the idea of you're trying to, uh, sort of in simplest terms, you're you know, creating a, gathering real world data and kind of putting into a digital format so you can kind of mirror what's happening in the, in the real world. And and I think if you just take that concept and build on what, what we could do with sensors and the new technologies we have, it just becomes really interesting. And uh, given some of the things that have happened you know, with with COVID and other things, it's it's an area that's that is seeing a lot of uh, development. So I've sort of sketched out a little bit what digital twins are. Tom, I, you can probably uh, come up with a better definition than than I just did. 
So here's the definition, um, since I will always try to come up with the simple, basic definition, here is what I think is uh, a definition that I can get behind and understand. So a digital twin is a virtual representation of a real-world physical system or product. So it's a digital, it's a virtual copy, identical copy of a real-world system or product, and in these days, it's mostly products, but it's getting to systems, that serves as an indistinguishable digital counterpart for purposes of simulation, integration, testing, monitoring, and maintenance. So it uh, is something that is currently, for the most part, designed to have a digital version so that you can make the physical version better, I guess is the best way to, to put it, is to improve upon it, to make sure that it still works, um, to use, use that uh, digital version to help the physical version do what it's supposed to do. To me, the better question than what is why. Why digital twins? Why is this important, um, first really to anyone, and then maybe secondly to lawyers? Well, I, I think where it becomes interesting is that um, it, it becomes a less expensive way to, to do more um, and to test more and to try new things. So if you think about aircraft and race cars and things like that, and you had the wind tunnel and you had the other ways to test things, uh, you know, crash testing, stuff like that, there's, there's actually a lot of cost to that. And, and so you, if you say, if we could kind of create, a, you know, using sensors, a digital version and do uh, some of those testings and do it in a, in a, a less expensive, expensive way. Um, that becomes interesting uh, to us because we can save money. We might be able to do different types of testing. We might be able to learn some information. We might be able to do things a little bit faster. And the monitoring could be more sensitive and, and finely tuned. So so I think those, those are some of the practical aspects of, of what you can do. And I, and I guess, Tom, we'll, we'll talk about sort of the classic examples to me are, you know, I, I mentioned car, you know, these sort of race cars and planes. But to me, the, the best example these days are, are buildings. Um, and that's the example I'll, I'll probably turn to. But I'd also say, although there's some overlap, it's worth, I think, talking a little bit to say, is this... Is this different and how is it different from things like virtual reality, uh, augmented reality, even even uh, artificial intelligence and, and some of the other things that we've talked about? Uh, what's your sense for that, Tom? I hate to say it's completely different, but to me, it utilizes all three of those things. So it's it's something that you can work on a digital twin either in a virtual reality environment or in an augmented reality. You can you can go and look at the digital twin and work on it in either of those environments. And then, frankly, what I'm what's kind of exciting me the most is, is that we're seeing the ability to use AI to improve the digital twin from its original physical version is just feeding the data to that physical or to that digital twin. So I think that a digital twin really can make use of all three of those. It's not really any of those types of things, in my opinion. It happens to use them in some format to get its job done. Yeah, and I think that for me, another difference is in a digital twin, you are really trying to 
duplicate, I mean, like identically what's out there in the real world in, in, uh, in the digital world. So you can, you can, you can work with it. So it's not like we're creating something specifically for a virtual reality space or whatever. We're, we're actually taking, um, all the measurements we get, all the sensors we can get, everything that we're, we're getting this information to kind of put it into an identical digital model that we can observe. And so I, I, like the example and sort of the one that if you research this topic, you'll see a lot of is just, uh, just, you know, the basic office building. And so I have the office building out in the, out in the real world and I have all these sensors all over the place and, uh, and I'm getting all this information on are the systems of the building, what's happening in the building and I can observe things and it, it starts to get more and more sophisticated. So you could say, Oh, I noticed that the, you know, the temperature in this area is significantly lower than in another other area and you could say oh that's something we need to check or you could go uh, you could start to see things like oh it looks like there's a, a leak in the roof and so we can do that or you could say what if we put that building through this this big storm that's coming what are the what are the effects that we're likely to see and so you you have that sort of digital representation of what's happening in the real world and you can start to stress it look at it in different ways and you can also look at improvements and how changes and modifications you might do, uh, what impact that might have, rather than just sort of uh, making educated guesses at it, actually having a, you know, a identical digital model of the building that you're working with. I like that example for my understanding, for me to be able to understand it. I feel like part of what makes that complicated is, is that a building is a whole ecosystem. It's not just a pro, it's not just a single component or a single product. It's a lot of a ton of components. So, you know, in learning more about this, the example that really hit home for me was much simpler than that. And it was really just the basic wind turbine. You know, you can attach a sensor or sensors to a wind, a real world wind turbine out in the field that's gathering the wind. And that's going to then feed data to the digital twin on the energy output, how much energy it creates, uh, the temperatures, uh, the weather conditions, you can probably have lots of other data. And then once the twin gets all that data, then it can say, okay, it's not working well enough to do this. We need to do this to optimize its use. Um, or it looks like that when the when the wind is like this, it uh, it gets a little hitch in it. We need to diagnose and fix a problem because it's losing output at certain times of the day. Um, and then even improve upon itself and create new wind turbines. So um, it kind of is a, something that monitors it along, but it also is improving on it for future products. So when we get to the benefits that you talked about, you were talking about cost being a benefit. I think that time is another benefit of this is that um, you are speeding the time to get to market of products. You're speeding the time to repair or fix problems that arise because they're either anticipated or they're seen within that digital twin. And, um, you know, there's, there's lots of options there when we start talking about things like the supply chain and being able to map an entire supply chain to a digital twin from the entire process is kind of a whole lot more interesting to me than anything we've talked about because you can, if you can monitor not only the equipment and the tools that are part of that, but also 
the business process that's part of it, you're able then hopefully to improve the speed of your supply chain. You can see where where you get uh, roadblocks. You can see where things slow down. You can see where um, you might lack resources to do things and you can get them ahead of time. And I think the idea is that if you start mapping these out in something like a digital twin, it will help you speed that supply chain up so because you're not having to worry about things that, that you can't foresee, you're able to foresee them in the digital twin. Yeah, I, I think another another benefit is in access. You know, so if you have, uh, I mean, a wind turbine is actually a, a good example of this. You have something that might be hard to access because of where it is physically or it's, you know, high up in the air and somebody has to climb it or other th- things like that. If you can kind of monitor what's going on and, and maybe make changes, uh, you know, s- test the changes in the digital twin and then send the modifications to change, you know, the, the, the uh, device or product in the real world, uh, you see the benefit there. And I think it, it, it really, the analogy of what's, what happened with space travel and, you know, satellites, manned space flight, that sort of thing, where you can say, we can model things on the ground, um, and we say there it seems like there's a gas leak somewhere and then figure out what that is and, and then relate to people how to fix it. Those are some of the benefits. And, and so I, I, I think that we're people are seeing, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of what's happening now, uh, you know, all the things we talked about. Uh, cost access these sort of 500 year storms and floods and and so the modeling that we need to do is different i think is kind of fueling the surge and then i think that you know tom you mentioned ai i think that once we see uh, the sort of 6g environment even faster broadband speeds and and then quantum computing other things like that will really kind of open up this this space even more so that we can we can just do a lot of things using virtual twins where we don't have to recreate things in in real life and and that will open up you know possibilities for i i think maintenance is you know preventive maintenance unbelievable potential there experimentation and, and Im- improvement and i guess I see it, Tom, is right now, it's, as you said, it's physical world and products. But I, your example of supply chain is a great one. I can see it kind of moving to services and delivery of services and how, you know, different different parts of that service process get pulled together and where, where you do find log jams or delays. Well, and that brings us to the practice of law. And we definitely need to talk about that. But before we do that, let's take a quick break from a message from our sponsors. Be the best resource you can for your Spanish-speaking clients with the Spanish Group's Legal Translation Service. Experienced translators ensure accurate translation of your documents with same-day delivery. Confidentiality is ensured, and the Spanish Group guarantees acceptance for certified translations. All that, and their rates are competitive. If you need other languages, the Spanish Group translates in over 140 languages. Mention Legal Talk 20 when you request your quote for 20% off your first translation. Visit thespanishgroup.org. Delegate out those tasks that take up your time. Staffy can help you with your legal, administrative, marketing, and even client-facing workload. Hiring Staffy's top-notch bilingual virtual staff means Staffy does the recruiting, hiring, and training for you. Then, if you need a change, Staffy handles it. You get to concentrate on your strategic work. 
Schedule a free consultation at staffy.cc. That's S-T-A-F-I dot C-C and get $500 off with code HAPPY24. And we are back. So, Tom, let's get practical about digital twins or digital twinning and ask the question, where are our listeners most likely to run into this in the legal world, either now or in the future? So as we said before, we took a break. We're seeing most digital twins take place in the physical world or to replicate the physical world and or products. But that supply chain example was something that um, could easily move over into the area of process or services. I would guess that digital twinning is something that doesn't happen a lot right now in the legal field. Um, If it does, it's probably in something closer to the area of contracting because that seems to be where all the energy goes to these days in legal technology is to contract development and lifecycle management. And I just don't know enough about that industry to know whether they're taking advantage of that sort of thing. But I think that what I find interesting about digital twinning for the legal practice is whether or not you can, I'm looking at some analogous things from the world of the physical. Uh, Let's say, for example, that you're a, I have seen examples of retail stores that talk about creating a digital twin out of the average customer. What does the customer do? Online versus in-store stuff. Experience with their customer service line. You know, how much they're likely to spend on on a yearly basis. Gather all the data you can on the average customer and build a digital twin and then run simulations on that and figure out what's that twin likely to do. Can you analogize that to the legal market? Or is there a digital twin of the average family law client or the average personal injury client or things like that? I wonder whether there are, there are data points that you have about all of your clients that you can begin to map out and create that that might then help you, one, serve them better. You can better anticipate what their issues are going to be, maybe. It might help you better anticipate how to market your practice to bring them in better. So that's that's me just, and that's literally me spitballing here in the last five minutes without having put it down in my in my notes or anything like that. Is is I would like to see this twinning go to an area where it's actually affecting the process of representing a client and not just some sort of legal technology play. It's interesting what you were saying there, Tom, because I hadn't really thought that much about it until you were saying that. But we do, you do see people creating these kind of personas of the, you know, the client or the buyer, and you come up with a couple of ideas, and they're sort of based on, you know, kind of gut feeling about some things, a little bit of data, but maybe you could start to pull data into creating these these things. So that's sort of a fascinating down the road sort of approach. That I, I'm really kind of intrigued why what people might do. I was sort of thinking in terms of say that I have that condo that collapsed in Florida, say that it would there were enough sensors in there that in the the case that was involved in that, whether it went to a jury or not, we could actually have a digital twin showing what happened when it collapsed. Or you could say Say, you know, in an accident, you might be able to tell what was what was happening or that you said, oh, this this didn't break in the wind. It was something else. And then you could kind of show that it, it happened. I think that uh, when I was thinking of contracting, I, I thought that just kind of putting for lawyers who 
you know, had a client. So you're a real estate lawyer and all of a sudden you, you have a, a client who says, oh, we're doing these digital twins of our buildings now. We need a contract that covers that. Like that is not a trivial legal project to do the contracts for that. And and so I think we start to look at those things and it, it, it takes us into that world that we we're, we're sort of uh, around these days in, in AI, but like, Okay, so what are the algorithms? How are these digital twins constructed? If we use them in a in a court setting, like how do we know it's close enough? And then that intriguing world of how, how do we analyze things like to show us when we need maintenance versus how do we make predictions and and diagnoses? So those are some of the things I thought about. Time you you have some more as well. Well, as a, as a former litigator, the thing that that I think about most is going. Going back to that supply chain argument, let's say that there was a breakdown, that uh, product didn't arrive in time, and there is litigation between parties for breach contract. Say, you didn't get me my stuff on time. Having a digital twin that mapped out the entire process would allow you to say, here is right where in the process it failed, and it wasn't our fault. It was the fault of the blah, 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 or whatever it happens to be. And you are able to then demonstrate, you know, right then and there, here's what happened, because we were tracking it from the very beginning all the way through the cycle uh, that it's happening. And I think that lawyers need to <laughs> have this kind of ammunition at their hands if they are, if, you know, when they represent clients like this. I could see that that would come in very, very handy. And I think more to your more to your point, the other example that I come up with is is the product liability case. You know, if if there's something that fails, you know, if, the, if an automobile, a part of an automobile fails and cause, causes a big crash, if a building fails like you said, or an airplane or something, it, you know, if the simulations that were run on that as part of the digital twin showed the likelihood of failure was extremely low, what value, what evidence would, you know, what weight would that evidence be given in court? Maybe high. I have not seen that type of evidence being uh, offered very often in terms of digital twin. I'm not sure if we're there yet, but um, I think that as Organizations there, I, I believe, as, as I was preparing for this, I read a statistic that 70% of technology leaders of major corporations are involved in creating some sort of digital twinning project for their company. So companies are starting to do it. And I think that lawyers need to be aware of when it's happening to see whether they can take advantage of it um, if they ever have to represent that company or client somewhere in litigation or a business deal or something like that. Yeah, I think there are these other things like around the building thing. If you're able to show like, oh, wait, no, we can show you that uh, all the doors were locked or this one door wasn't locked at a certain time. And this was the level of light. You know, it wasn't that there was a light bulb burned out because our sensors are showing that there was a light there. And here's what it had to look like. That's interesting. I think that there's this intriguing, you know, lots of intriguing uses, you know, in the medical area as well. This sort of, you, know, you think about, I was just thinking about this. If, if there were like a digital twin of me and I, you know, there was a way that doctors could try out like the potential side effects of medications or the, like a surgery technique they wanted to try or something before they actually, you know, gave it to me or used it on me. That could be, that could be interesting too. So I think it's, it's an area that um, is one of those, those places that feels initially like it's some form of science fiction, but it's probably a lot closer than we think. And maybe in some ways 
already here and uh, lots of potential. And, and Tom, it goes back to that technology competence thing that I think that for for some lawyers, you're going to find yourself uh, that's this is something you need to know about right away. And, and for others, it's something that if you know something about it, may create new uh, practice opportunities and help you serve a different set of clients. So definitely in a new technology in a sense, um, in an old technology in another sense, but one that sort of the new platforms and and what we're capable of doing these days as will be over the next couple of years really brings into play. And I think that's as good a place as any to stop. Uh, before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break for more messages from our sponsors. If you're like me, you're probably a bit frustrated with the state of our political system today. Democracy Decoded, a podcast by Campaign Legal Center, examines our government and discusses innovative ideas that could lead to a stronger, more transparent, accountable, and inclusive democracy. Listen at democracydecoded.org to their new season, which takes a deep dive into democracy at the state and local level by highlighting different ways to ensure that every voter's voice is heard. Filing court documents, serving legal papers, collecting electronic signatures, all critical parts of the litigation process, yet ones that are time-consuming and error-prone. But what if you could do more straight from your case or document management software? InfoTrack automates data entry, document selection, tracking, and information syncing across all these core tasks and more by integrating with your core systems like Clio, Smokeball, Leap, MyCase, and others. Spend more time on substantive legal work and less time on busy work. Learn how simple it can be at infotrack.com simple. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. So we did an episode a while back about what people might do if Elon Musk bought Twitter. Well, it's happened. And people are talking about leaving Twitter in droves every day lately. Now, whether they will do that remains to be seen. But there's a lot of discussion about using Twitter, leaving Twitter, and Twitter alternatives that some that people might go to. So question comes up, of course, what are Tom and I planning to do? So Tom, uh, will you reveal your current Twitter game plan? Well, to be honest, I'm really, I'm really not sure why we're having this conversation right now, because the only thing that has changed is that Elon Musk now owns the company. If you have a visceral reaction to Elon Musk, then by all means, cancel your account. Just do it. There's nothing wrong with that. I don't have a problem with that. I don't know personally, where you get your data that people are leaving in droves, where that uh, actually comes in. Um, but for I, me... I, I, say, I said that people say they are leaving in droves. <laughs> yeah, that means that as a group, because you use the word in droves, in droves, people are talking about it. Here's, here's what it is for me. One, wait and see what he's going to do. And two, See if what he's going to do will affect me. That is kind of my plan right now. They made an announcement today. Uh, you know, I've, I've been wanting for a long time to get the blue check mark, the verified check mark to say, here's who I am. There's, I felt like there's some sort of prestige value to it. And they kept denying it to me when I, when I applied for it. Now I learn I can get it for the low, low price of $8 a month, which means that just anybody can now be verified. And I'm like, that is a 
a something that probably could make a lot of money, but I have no desire in paying $8 a month to just to have a blue check mark by it. I just like the fact that I could be verified otherwise. Um, you know, if policies change, if the overall climate starts to change on Twitter, I might think about leaving, but, you know, think about this also. I think our Twitter worlds reflect the content that we want to see. If you don't want to see divisive or offensive content, don't follow those people. In my tech law and legal tech bubble that I've created on Twitter, I only see what I want to see. And what's going on everywhere else doesn't affect me at all. Now, I do subscribe to a couple of news feeds that if I followed them down the rabbit hole, I would see some really ugly, nasty stuff. But I never see any of that stuff. And, you know, if so right now, what could or might happen doesn't affect me at all. I still get the news that I want. I still interact with the people I want to. And I don't have any problem with that. Now, if there's a policy that morally I can't get behind, or if uh, if we see lots of people joining who are truly, I mean, <laughs> are allowed to do truly t horrific things, I, you know, that's a different question. And, and it's a different consideration for me that hasn't happened yet. And so it's hard for me to say. So for now, I'm going to stay put. I'm going to see what happens. Business as usual. But, uh, you know, let's check back here in six months or so and see what happens. I'm not convinced that Elon Musk knows how to run a company like Twitter. And um, I, I am very interested to see how he handles or does not handle it over uh, at least the next six months. Dennis. Yeah, I think it's a fair question whether anybody can run Twitter at this point effectively. If you would ask me this morning, I was I was saying, oh, I think I might have to to leave, and then by this evening, I was like, no, actually, the trouble is that it's it is this kind of big public forum, and it's a place that I like because, as you said, uh, as you illustrated, time I have control over the things that that I see, and and I use it for certain certain tasks. The other thing is that after 15 years on Twitter. Uh, I, I finally feel like I have my Twitter voice and I know what I'm using it for. And so I, I don't want to leave that because it does a, a lot of things. And so I did, I, I saw people talking about places they might move to and, it, and it's just like, good luck to them, you know, because they, they're, they're in really no good places. You're talking, you know, there, there are some places, but it's going to take a whole lot of work. It's going to be completely different interfaces. And a whole lot of people. Gonna, yeah. And it's, it's just going to be, it's not going to be what people expect. So I made a list of things that I will probably kind of build out a little bit more more to give me alternatives, but I realize that nothing really takes the place of of Twitter in what it's doing for me. So to keep up with people, I, I you know I would look more at LinkedIn. I know that for news, I'll go to Apple News and probably do a little bit more in the mainstream news sites. Some of the people that I direct message on on Twitter, I might uh, do texting or some other messaging for certain specialty topics. Topics. And those of uh, people who follow me on Twitter know that like ancient archaeology and things like that that I'm interested in. I'll probably explore Reddit a bit more than I have. Um, I may look at some specially, you know, small communities and mighty networks. But I don't think there's one thing that takes the place of Twitter. And I sort of think it is that sort of public 
marketplace of ideas that it's, uh, you know, unless unless Elon runs it totally into the ground um, and out of business, I think it's going to be a significant place uh, for a lot of people and where a, the kind of conversation that's driving a lot of things happening in the world and our responses to it are happening. So I, I think it's kind of hard to just completely walk away from it. Ask me tomorrow morning, I might have a somewhat different opinion, but I'm building out some potential alternatives. Uh, but I think that I'm, you know, likely to, to stay and observe what's going to happen. Uh, but I'm like you, Tom, I, I don't, I don't really see the need to, to uh, pay for some of the things that people are talking about having us having us pay for. Now it's time for our parting shots, that one tip website or observation. You can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. So I um, saw the site on the great Recommendo newsletter site uh, this past weekend, and I thought I would I would mention it. And it's a it's a website called What's That Charge? Um, and I will say this happens to me more often than I would like, where I'm looking at my bank account and there's a charge on it that's just a mass of letters and numbers, and there's a phone number and there's a couple of letters there, and I have absolutely no idea what the charge is. And um, what's that charge is designed to help you figure out what it is that actually is making the charge. And, and there are references to lots and lots and lots and lots of weird, strange charges that you might see on your card. But there's also a search box, which actually just takes you to a specially configured Google search to go look for it out on the internet. Because generally, in most cases, um, if you've been charged this before, other people have probably been charged it before at some time. Um, but I think it's useful. It's a nice thing if you, uh, you know, rather than immediately jump to the conclusion that your um, debit card has been hacked and that you someone's making charges, it might be that you made that purchase of flowers for your spouse and it got charged to something that you don't recognize. So um, take a look at whatsthatcharge.com. It's free to use and it looks like a pretty good resource. Two things for me. So I have a, a little bit of announcement. So I've, I was just appointed the full-time director of the Michigan State University Center for Law, Technology, and Innovation, which I think means I have to say that I'm officially unretired at, at this point. So I'm looking forward uh, for the next couple of years of, uh, you know, directing the center and, and building it. The other parting shot I wanted to mention is that I updated to Mac OS 13, and, and there's uh, a new feature in the OS called Stage Manager. And this is something I didn't realize how much I would uh, just totally like. And so the idea with Stage Manager is that the document or program you're working on takes up most of your screen and then let's say like the last half dozen things you've worked on just kind of icons for those go off to the left side and you just can kind of move from one program to another just by clicking on it and then the next one just comes up one thing and takes all of your focus so it's it's a lot about focus those of you uh, who are familiar with alt tab in windows similar kind of concept but i it's just really well executed and 
and helps me focus and kind of is a lot better than what I was doing, uh, which I think was a parting shot at another time of kind of putting four different programs up in fixed places all over my screen. So this is sort of one thing at a time and easily to move them, but it really helps with the focus side of things. So if you're in the Mac world and thinking about going to Mac OS 13, I think this is something that you will like and you'll definitely want to explore. Well, and congratulations, Dennis, on your appointment and welcome back to the world of full-time employment. And so that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Ma Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes for this episode on the Legal Talk Network's page for our show. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site where you can find archives of all of our previous podcasts along with transcripts. If you'd like to get in touch with us, remember, you can always reach out to us on LinkedIn, Twitter, or remember, we love to get a voicemail, uh, 720-441-6820. That number again is 720-441-6820. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. If you like what you heard today, please rate us in Apple Podcasts. And we'll see you next time for another episode of the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.